I just want to say before we, before we get started, um, how thankful I am for the worship team. You all every week do such a great job. They're practicing um, on the weekends, and so I just, I just appreciate them for what they do. They do such a great job of bringing us into the presence of God uh, to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and I just appreciate them uh, to Paul, to Carrie, um, to David. Not only do they have phenomenal beards, um, but... They do. Um, in fact, when I first got here, I thought that it was a prerequisite to working at Freedom Village Church. You had to have a beard, which wouldn't be an issue because I, I, had, I had a phenomenal beard. You just couldn't see it because I had a mask on. I shaved it for today. Yeah. You're welcome. All right. Why are y'all laughing? Y'all need to stop laughing about that. All right. We need to pray. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. I pray that uh, you give me the words to speak, that your word will be uh, preeminent in this time, and that your son be preached, worshipped, and honored. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is Christmas all about? Uh, This is the frustrated question of Charlie Brown. Um, as, as he's asking all of his friends, and he's getting different answers, right? He's getting different answers. Some people say, oh, you know, it's gifts. Some people say, well, I hope it's snow so we can play in the snow. Uh, what is Christmas all about? Uh, and as he asks this question, finally, this, this little dude named Linus um, stands up, enters center stage with blanket in hand, uh, and, and, and he starts quoting our text today, and we're going to read it again. It is short enough. I, I like I like preaching short texts because we can go through it often. Uh, So we're going to do that again. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Um, And it reads like this. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you've been with us uh, this Advent season, we've been going through Luke chapter 2, and my assignment today um, are these few verses here. Two weeks ago, uh, November 28th, Pastor James, uh, he talked about the setting of the good news, the setting of the good news. Uh, those are the first seven verses of chapter 2. And uh, primarily, he, he talked about how God fulfills his promises. Uh, he is trustworthy, And then last week, uh, Pastor Kerry went through the announcement of the good news, uh, verses 8 through 11. And he talked about the three names of Christ, uh, that he is Savior, he's Christ, he's Lord. Um, And therefore, our response to him is not simply belief, uh, because even demons believe uh, and they shudder, but yet also to devote yourselves to him. Uh, So that's what's been going on. And today we have the purpose of of the good news, the purpose of the good news. So we had the setting, we had the announcement, and now we have the purpose of the good news. And I'm looking forward to this today because before we get into uh, the purpose exactly, I want us to recap who is the good news, the person of the good news. Because I think it's helpful for us before we get into the why, we know the who. At least we're thinking about the who. Right, so we are going, some of it's going to be recap, 
Uh, we're going to highlight uh, what Pastor Kerry uh, taught last week. But I think it's important for us to have that in mind as we go through the purpose of why he came, uh, which our text does discuss here. Uh, verse 11 says, of, of chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is Savior and he is Christ. Um, whenever we're in distress, we look for somebody to help us, somebody to rescue us, right? And we, and we like that when somebody's able to rescue us. If it's something um, trivial or seemingly in the grand scheme of things trivial, like maybe your car breaks down on the side of the road, and you want somebody to come and get you out of that mess, right? Uh, you want somebody to rescue you. Or it's something more serious, like uh, a criminal uh, is threatening your life, and then a police officer comes and saves your life. We are glad when we are saved from distress or troubled times. And Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He fulfills Old Testament prophecy. His name in Hebrew, literally, Yeshua, which means the Lord saves the Lamb of God recalls the Passover lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the houses of the Israelites to protect them during the Exodus. That's in Exodus chapter 12. The Messiah, as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, is, he sacrifices his life um, for an off, as an offering for sin. And the lamb in the book of Revelation uh, depicts a victorious lamb of the apocalypse. Uh, he is the sacrificial servant, uh, he is the Lamb of God. But what, what did he come to save us from? I think is a good question, and Pastor Kerry didn't mention this last week. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 23 says, They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. This text looks forward to Christ cleansing his people, forgiving their sins, and the fact that they will become his people and he will be their God. So what is the salvation that Jesus brings? It's a salvation from sin. Um, but what kind of salvation are we searching for? I think sometimes we come to church and we want to hear something Right, something for our situation specifically. What, what kind of savior are we looking for? Uh, we want to be delivered from oppression and hardship. Uh, we want to be healed of our diseases, and these are not bad desires. We should bring those before God. But above any, everything else, above disease, above sickness, above situations we might be in, we need salvation from our sin and the wrath of God against sin. If Jesus is our Savior, if he's your Savior, we have assurance that he has saved us from our sin and from eternal punishment. We have a Savior and we have a Christ who has been promised. But we also have a Lord in Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. And we learned last week that the, the title Lord is not simply an honorary one. Some places in the world, you know, you say Lord. Actually, my ancestors, Lord Miller. Funnily enough, uh, so, so some people, they, they call you Lord. This is not simply the case here. It is correctly put in our Bibles, a capital L, Lord, because Scripture is consistent. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is God in the flesh. 
Uh, this is why Jesus says to Philip in the upper room, Philip says, uh, Jesus, you've, you always talk about the Father. Just show us the Father, he says. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long? You're asking an elementary question on graduation day, right? I've been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is God visible. Uh, John starts his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 8, verse 58, uh, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, you talk about Abraham as if he's your best bud, as if you know him. How do you know who Abraham is? You're not 30 years old. And Jesus responds with, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And John finishes his gospel with the scene of Thomas, uh, the doubter guy. Finally seeing Jesus for who he is, he feels the wounds on his hands and the wounds on his feet, and he declares, my Lord and my God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, and he upholds, he being Jesus, the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. What was once invisible can now be fully seen in the person of Jesus Christ. He came as a human but is 100% divine and is God manifested to us. Jesus being anything less than divine is against the teachings of scripture and against the teachings of Jesus himself. It's just truth. It doesn't matter how we feel about it. It doesn't matter what we think about it. He is Lord of all. However, when we take this truth to heart, it changes everything. And we're commanded to take this truth to heart, that he be our Lord, that we submit to him, submit to his authority, that we obey his commands, that we follow in his example and seek after a life that honors him. It changes everything. And why does it matter that Jesus is God? I often got this question in um, the classroom. I was a Bible teacher in my previous life. And um, they would ask, because we would talk about the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Good thing to talk about in Bible class. And they would ask, well, why does it matter that he's God? Couldn't he have just have been a man and have made the sacrifice and it'd be fine? Um, but it matters because by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of the wrath of God in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. There is no way that any mere human could bear and fully satisfy God's wrath against sin. By nature, this wrath is infinite in quality. In order to bear the wrath of God, it's essential that the Savior be divine. Uh, but also, in order to satisfy this wrath, he had to offer a sacrifice of such a value that God would be pleased to accept it. Only Christ as God could bring a sacrifice of infinite and eternal value to the Father. Uh, and by virtue of his divine nature, he's able to earn for us eternal life and favor with God. Um, he's also through his godness, able to live the life that we couldn't live and rise again and defeat the power of death and sin so that by faith uh, we can have a relationship with God and be with him eternally. This is not a secondary doctrine. This is crucial to the Christian faith. Jesus is God. He is Lord. However, when we take that truth to heart 
and apply it to our lives, it changes everything. Uh, the year was 115 AD, and uh, there was an 86-year-old man sitting at, the di- at his dining room table in his house when he heard knocks at the door. Knocks. And, um, sorry, I don't have a wooden podium. Here are knocks at his door. Um, and there were Roman guards. It's a pretty, pretty funny scene. You have an 86-year-old man, and there are Roman guards coming to arrest this guy, fully armed, fully armored. Uh, so what could he have done to elicit this kind of attention from the Roman government? Uh, well, Polycarp was well known for speaking against the Roman government uh, and speaking against the culture of the time that was anti-God. He he was among the apostolic fathers who are those that came after Peter, James, John. In fact, some of them were disciples of those, of Jesus' disciples, right? Um, And this was the, the, the apostolic, the apostolic fathers carried correct teaching during a time of intense persecution and a time when a correct teaching about who Jesus is was being debated a lot, right? And so these people, through the grace of God and the sovereignty of God, carried correct Christian doctrine through this difficult and fragile time in church history. And Polycarp was among them. His life was characterized by preaching the gospel, speaking out against the Roman government, and encouraging the Christian church. This is who Polycarp was. It would be an understatement to say that Polycarp did big things for Christ. But why? Why was he moved to do so? Uh, Because eventually he did die for the faith. And I think the answer we find in a letter he wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, They wrote to him and they said, hey, you know, Polycarp, you need to chill. Uh, Just deny your affiliation with the church. Uh, Just act like it never happened. Retract what you said about the government and move on. Right? They're going to kill you. And he responds with this. I have followed Christ my whole life, and he has done me no wrong. How can I betray my Savior and my King? Polycarp did big things for Christ because he had a big view of who Christ is. Christ, in application, was Lord over his life. Is he Lord of your life? Have you submitted to his word in obedience, not perfection, but in a focused pursuit to follow after the example of our Savior. Is he Lord of your life? So Jesus, the person of the good news, is Savior. He's Christ. He's the promised one. And he is Lord. So that's the person. Uh, So what about the purpose? Now we're going to get into the purpose of the good news. We're going to read our text again because, again, it's short, and I like doing stuff like that. So this is verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels here sing the reason for his coming. The angels are singing the purpose of his coming. That's what we're going to see here. And there are two that we're going to look at. The first is that glory goes up, and the second is that peace comes down. So glory to God, peace to man. 
the purpose of Christ's coming. So first, the glory of God. It says, the angels say, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God was the result of Christ's birth. Uh, The word glory, as related to God in the Old Testament, bears with it the idea of greatness of splendor. Greatness of splendor. In the New Testament, the word translated glory means dignity, honor, praise, worship. Putting the two together, we find that to glorify God, glorifying God means to acknowledge his greatness and give him honor by praising and worshiping him. To acknowledge his greatness and give him praise and honor by worshiping him, primarily because he and he alone deserves it. Um, Sometimes we're so quick to praise man, but slow to praise the one that made man, right? We need to be quick to praise God for who he is and what he's done. Now, the question comes to mind is if God is glory, right, that's his already. What does it mean by we give him glory? How How do we give someone something that they already have, right? Or in this case, if if God has all the glory, then how can we give God something in which is his in the first place? And I think the answer is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 28 through 29, which says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In this verse, we see two actions that denote the action of glorifying God. Two of them. The first one is to ascribe. To ascribe to or recognize his greatness and praise him because of it because it's his due. We recognize his greatness. And second, we bring an offering. So first, we recognize his greatness and second, we bring an offering. Uh, But what is the offering we bring to God to glorify him? What is that offering? Um, I think it involves agreement to what he has said. Agreement to what he has spoken in his word. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 5 says this. I am the Lord. I created the heavens like an open tent above. I made the earth and everything that grows on it. I am the source of life for all who live on this earth. So listen to what I say. Because of who he is, holy, perfect, true, his proclamations and statutes are holy, perfect, and true. And we glorify him by listening and agreeing to what he has said. By listening and agreeing to what he has said. God's word, the Bible, is his word to us. All we need for life in him. Listening to and agreeing with him uh, will not glorify him unless we also submit to what he has spoken as well. Psalm chapter 103, verses 17 through 18 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. And Jesus reiterated this idea in John chapter 14, verse 5, 15. John chapter 14, verse 15, uh, when he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A part of glorifying God is agreeing to what he's spoken, uh, but also submitting and obeying to what he has said as well. Uh, That's an offering that we bring to God in order to glorify him. Uh, But we also glorify God by rehearsing his attributes and his deeds. Um, Stephen, uh, the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, 
before he was killed for his faith, he retold basically the entire story of God with his people, right? That's, that's Acts chapter seven. Um, the entire story of God, how, how God has been faithful from the beginning until now. And I think for us, even though others might not want to hear uh, what we have to say about what Christ has done in our lives, because people didn't want to hear what Stephen had to say about that. They got so angry, they killed him, right? Uh, we should be those that are rehearsing to others, not just to ourselves, but to others, what God has done in our life, how God has redeemed us from sin, how he has redeemed us uh, to live a life for him. Uh, we should be those that often, that God's love is so pressed on our heart that it often comes out of our lips. Um, I had a class of, um, I was a Bible teacher, as I already mentioned, but in my, in my class, we had this game, and I hope this is helpful. It probably isn't, but it's fine. Um, so we had this game where I would ask them a question. Before we're taking an exam, I would, ask, I would ask them a question. So those of you that are teachers, listen up. This is genius pedagogy, okay? Um, it's not. So I had this game. I split them up into teams, and then I asked them a question, and if somebody from the team raised a hand, they get a chance for points, right, for the next exam. Um, shows you what kind of teacher I am. So um, they would, okay, <laughs> I have to explain the game. So there were lines. First line, here's a trash can. You roll up a piece of paper. You shoot the trash can. If you get the answer right, one point, two point, three point, et cetera, right, until six points, which is on the other side of the room. Ain't nobody shoot that shot. They just want to win. They're going for the number one, the point one shot. They're just trying to get points, right? That's generally what happens. Uh, one day, on my floor, uh, every other classroom except mine was taking an exam. Again, it tells you what kind of teacher I am. Um, so, in fact, I think the whole building was taking an exam. So, we were playing this game, and one of the guys, he thought, I'm going to shoot the six-point shot. So, he goes way back there to shoot the six-point shot. Um, right when he got on the line, he took the shot. Actually, before he took the shot, I told the class, I said, if he makes the shot, we got to not be loud. I think you can see where this is going. I told them not to be loud, to, to be calm, reserve themselves. Um, I, it's hard to explain what happened. It was, those of you that are teachers probably understand, there's a moment when you step back, you look at what's going on, you want it to stop, um, but you've lost. And that was, that was this moment. Um, right when he got on the line, he took the shot and it went right in. I mean, the room went crazy. People were running outside the room, sprinting back and forth. I was screaming and simply adding to the noise. They were jumping for joy and celebrating uh, because their classmate had made this shot. But what was interesting was after the class, um, I had students that I taught that were on the floor above me, the floor below me, that were on this floor, that heard, basically the whole building heard uh, the celebration heard the joyous singing about him making the shot. And, and once the bell rang, these students came into my room and they said, who made the shot, <laughs> right? They knew exactly what had happened because they heard uh, the celebration. In a world that desperately needs to hear the news of a savior, do others see and hear your prayers? Not your prayers, your praise. Is he on your heart so much so that joyful praise characterizes your life to where people are asking, what, what is this about? 
Does praise characterize your life? Because if it does, it is glorifying to God. So to glorify God is to recognize and lift up his attributes, his holiness, faithfulness, mercy, grace, love, majesty, sovereignty, power, omniscience, rehearsing them over and over in our minds and also telling others about the salvation that only he offers. And that's what it means to glorify God. And that was the purpose of Christ's coming, that God would be glorified. So if we simply keep it to ourselves, um, that's not good and not fulfilling the purpose of his coming. So glory goes up. And secondly, peace comes down. Peace comes down. Uh, The old King James Version translates uh, verse 14b. Uh, This is the version that was used by Linus in um, Charlie Brown Christmas. And it reads like this, the KJV. As Linus takes his blanket. This is 14, just 14b. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now virtually all the modern translations agree uh, that this was not an accurate translation. Uh, The NIV says, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. The NASB says, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And the ESV says, and on earth, peace among men, uh, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, We know that Jesus did not come to bring world peace. Um, Disagreeing with Miss Universe, who would say that the purpose of life is to bring world peace. However, this is not the purpose of Christ's birth. It is not a national nonviolent goal, right, of Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. There would be division because of this in a certain sense, right? He did not come necessarily to bring world peace. So what kind of peace is this talking about? The point here in our text is that even though God's offer of peace goes out to all, only his chosen people, the people who receive Christ, trust him as Savior, Messiah, Lord, will experience the peace he brings. Uh, and, uh, and I'm not here, please don't understand me, uh, to call a cancellation of Charlie Brown's Christmas. Um, good movie, good flick. If that's a tradition in your home, please continue it. Um, it's just I wish they used a different translation for this text. Um, and there are three aspects of peace. So, so this peace that God brings uh, because of Christ's birth um, is for God's people, those that profess Christ as Lord and trust him as their Savior. Um, and there are three aspects of peace that I want us to discuss here today. Three aspects of peace. The first is peace with God. Peace with God. Our most basic need is to have peace with God. Uh, This is foundational to all other pursuits of peace. If we don't go here first, any other experience of peace will be superficial and temporary. God's peace, peace with him, is our primary goal. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 is helpful here. And it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, justified means that God de- de- declares you to be right, declares you um, to be right before him. And this is through faith alone, uh, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, tradition, not by baptism, not by church membership, not by piety, not by Christian lineage, but by faith. When we believe in Jesus as a Savior and Lord, we are united to him, and his righteousness is counted to be ours. The righteousness of Jesus is counted 
to be ours by God. We are justified by faith. And the result is peace with God. The result is peace with God. God's anger at us because of our sin is put away. Our rebellion against him is overcome. God adopts us into his family. And from now on, all his dealings with us are for our good. He will never be against us. He's our father and our friend. We have peace with God. Those of us that have put our faith in him. We also have peace with ourselves. Peace with ourselves. Because we have peace with God, uh, because of being justified by faith, we can begin to grow in the enjoyment of peace with ourselves as well. Uh, And this includes any sense of guilt, anxiety uh, that paralyzes us or makes us hopeless. Uh, Believing in the promises of God and a view to glorify God uh, here is key. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says this. Do not be anxious about anything. The opposite of anxiety being peace. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, give your anxieties to him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, The picture here is that our hearts and our minds are under attack. Guilt, worry, threats, confusion, uncertainties, they all challenge our peace. And Paul says that God wants to guard your hearts and your minds. He guards them with his peace. He guards them in a way that goes beyond what human understanding can fathom. We need not limit the peace of God by what our understanding can see. He gives us unexplainable peace, irrational peace. And he does it when we take our anxieties to him in prayer and trust in him that he will carry them for us and protect us. When we do this, when we come to him, and remember, we already have peace with him, right? We already have peace with God. And we trust him as our loving and almighty father to help us. His peace comes to us. It steadies us. It protects us from the the disabling effects of fear and anxiety and guilt. And then we're able to carry on. And our God gets the glory for what we do because we trusted in him. And I think this Christmas, we need to do that. Uh, We need to take our anxieties to God. Tell him about them. Ask him to help you, to protect you, in order to restore our peace uh, this holiday season. So we have peace with ourselves. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves. And finally although you might not believe me, peace with others. Peace with others. The third relationship where God wants us to enjoy his peace is in our relationships with other people. And this is the one we have least control over. And and, and that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, uh, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, For many of us, some of us, we might be going back home this holiday season to our families, and um, some of us going back to our families, uh, there will be some awkward and painful relationships, Uh, and some of the pain is very old, some of it's new, Uh, and some relationships, you know exactly what to do in order to rectify that relationship, but in others, you're baffled. You have no idea uh, what it would take to bring peace in the home, but in both cases, trusting the promises of God with heartfelt awareness of how he forgave you in Christ is key. And I think the text that puts this together most powerfully is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. 
And it says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We need to continually cultivate an amazement that we have been forgiven by God, that we have peace with God through Christ. Being amazed that you have peace with God, it's this sense of amazement and gratitude that I, a sinner, have peace with God. And that makes the heart tender, kind, forgiving. And we need to extend this to others. 70 times 7. And it might be thrown back in our faces, might be rejected, um, and, and that hurts. It can make us bitter if we're not careful. But don't let it. Uh, keep being more amazed that your wrongs have been forgiven uh, rather than you being wronged. Um, be more amazed that your wrongs have been forgiven uh, than by the fact that you have been wronged. You have peace with your soul. Your guilt is taken away. You have peace with God. And that truth in and of itself is amazing. So through Christ, as we glorify God, lifting up his attributes, obeying his commands, taking our anxieties to him, we have peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. And our text here today, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is why he came on a day as the Savior, Messiah, as the Sovereign, that God would get glory and that you would know peace. May the God of peace give you peace and get his glory. And ask the praise team to come up. I'm going to be praying here together.